welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey there, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker. And whether it's your first time or if you're a regular listener returning, it's great to have you here with us today. So thanks for tuning in. And please don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review if you enjoy it. So on with today's episode. Businesses are built by those who dare to dream and have the determination to turn the dream into reality. Like everyone, the people who are successful in business don't always have everything go their own way. They have plenty of challenges to overcome, they make mistakes, and they often go to the very edge. But it's a belief they have in themselves, their vision, and their never-give-up attitude that gets them to where they want to go. And today's guest is a great example of that. He's the founder and owner of the Unite brand of hair products, and he just goes by the name Dale. In today's podcast, we will discuss the origins and the ethos behind the Unite brand, the changing product distribution models, and some of the personal skills needed to succeed, and lots more as well. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Dale. Thanks, Anthony, and uh, much appreciated that you've uh, brought me on here to have a chat with you. It's a long time since we've actually got together and have dinner last time i think was in uh, new york with rick uh, exactly. uh, the last time we had dinner yeah exactly yeah. which and was a long time ago got to be 10 years ago absolutely yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. you know yeah. it's it, it is great to have this opportunity i've wanted to have you on the podcast for a long time and uh, i was reflecting on it before um you know before we jumped on the call and i thought about the time when i actually first met you and um it was a long time ago it was 1980 perhaps 1981, uh, and I'd just started as a new trainee at Bidel Sassoon Salon in Sloan Street in London. And there was what could probably best be described as a, a sort of circus of incredible stylists and colorists that I'm sure you can also remember. You know, there was, there was Christian, the colorist, who used to walk around the salon singing opera yeah. on, the, on the top yeah. of his voice. Yeah, who bred um, Afghan hounds, the dogs. Exactly, exactly. And there, yeah. was, there was Joel, yeah. the, cre- the creative director. And I can remember yes. him wearing, he used to wear to work a World War II leather flying suit where one oh. leg was six inches shorter than the other. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and then there were, there were these other sort of, you know, pirates and new romantics. And, and then, of course, there were other people that were very classic. And I can remember that even then that you had – a sense of style that the English would probably describe as being dapper. And uh, uh, <laughs> I can remember seeing you wearing a, a cravat and a, a uh-huh. Prince of Wales checked suit. I don't know if you yeah. remember that suit, but I it yeah. took it. I've still, got, I've still got a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously them. a favourite. It's obviously <laughs> a favourite. But you yeah. always looked like you were going somewhere. Do you know what I mean? You always look like this is one step on the journey. And uh, it's sort of like, you know, you were the person most likely. And here here we are 40 years later. 
And, um, you know, here I am chatting to you and I'm going to dig into all that. So, look, let's start off with an overview of you and your background. You tell us who is Dale. Give us your sort of two minute backstory and uh, and then we'll dig into uh, some important bits. Yeah, well, the dapper part, funny, actually, probably comes from two years at the London College of Fashion, which I did, uh, which was. But yeah, it was very exciting and, and really enjoyed it. But who am I? Um, well, I'm a hairdresser, just like the majority of people listening to this, probably. Um, so I relate, you know, uh, afflicted with ADD and uh, all the other things that hairdressers are. But started at the age of 16 with a, actually a group called Steiner. Uh, and after a few months, uh, took a cutting course at Vidal Sassoon's. Probably shouldn't have been on it because I was a bit too young to get on that course. But Andrew Joes was my teacher and said, hey, you should interview with Sassoon. So I said, really? And he said, yeah, I'll get you the interview. So interviewed with 200 other kids, got down to the last 20 and was hired at Sassoon's. Um, got on the floor, one of the youngest stylists at the age of 19, just 19. So I started with them in 78, got on the floor at 19. And at the age of 21, they asked me to move to America. So I did a short stint in New York and then went to Los Angeles on Rodeo Drive uh, and was with them for just over 10 years um, and then left and started my first salon in L.A. and then stupidly opened four more. <laughs> so I had uh, five salons with about 120 hairdressers working with me, uh, which was, you know, uh, I learned a lot from that, which was great. And then 18 years ago, thought, right, I can start a product company. And the amount of people that said to me, oh, you're crazy, you're nuts, you'll never do it. I remember Keith Ross telling me, oh, you're nuts, this will never work. Uh, Keith, I'd love to see you right now. Um, that would be great. Um, but anyway, um, I found a couple of chemists that I really could work with. And I think that's the most important thing because hairdressers are great at understanding what feels good in your hand and what works in the hair. But as for being chemists or chemical engineers, we are not. Um, so basically found a couple of chemists that I really liked and said, right, these are the kind of things I'm looking for. This is the kind of brand I want, uh, and came up with a name unite. And in my eyes, unite means hairdressers uniting together to make these. And I will always believe that. And that's something that I'm very, very comfortable with saying all the time because it's the right thing to say. Um, and here we are 18 years later after unite started, uh, in 30 countries and from my garage where we started, we are now in a 65,000 square foot building uh, shipping seven days a week, uh, which is which is fun. And I, yeah. I love the business side of this as much as the creative. Good. Well, we've got we've got lots to dig in there. Unfortunately, there's a bit of a wobbly Internet connection. You dropped out for a couple of seconds there. It wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't a deal breaker, so uh, let's just carry on. But yeah, it did uh, it did just wobble a little bit there. So uh, ah, anyway, okay. Uh, so so let, let's go back. I don't want to go back too far, but I want to go back to. Uh, well, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Unite because I'm intrigued by your journey into you know the manufacturing product business thing. But I, I just want to start off by talking about you, you know, Dale, the hairdresser, uh, and the salons that you that you had. So. Um, you know, you, as you said, you were working at Sassoon and in uh, uh, Rodeo Drive. Um, what point did you know that it was time to open your own salon? I think you get to a point where when you're doing something for a certain amount of time, you know there's more. And I think I got to that point at Sassoon's where I personally knew 
I wouldn't take myself further. Now, could I have gone further? Maybe I could have gone further with them. But in my mind, I couldn't have taken myself further with that brand. I needed to sort of start a brand that I could control um, with things I'd learned from Sassoon's, but things that I thought would have been better as well. Um, and that's what I did. It's hard when you're working with an established company like that or an established brand like that because they don't tend to change. And yeah. I think they should. And personally, right now, I think they should have because of where they are right now. Mm, okay. So you don't have salons anymore, is that correct? No, no, uh, we don't. We have uh, an educational centre uh, yeah. which which works. But as for a salon, no. Um, understand them inside and out, but obviously it, it, we're too busy. I'm too busy. We're too busy with Unite to even think about that. Yeah, yeah no, I, I totally get that. So, you know, when you opened the, the first salons, I'm intrigued, I often ask people this who've opened up a salon, is, is yeah. it, what do they wish that they'd known before they opened a business? Was there, was there um, any one thing that really stands yeah. out that you thought, oh, my God, I wish I knew this? Yeah, well, a couple of things, actually. The first thing was uh, partnership. I should never have gone into a partnership. Okay. Um, I should have done it on my own uh, and maybe vested people in that I wanted to sort of really work with me and given them a small amount of the business or a, a small percentage of the business and not done a partnership, first thing. Second thing, um, you know, should have understood that, um, you know, don't think about having a vacation or a holiday in the first three years because if you want your brand to grow, and I call businesses brands, but if you want your brand to grow, it is 24-7. And it mm. is like 95% perspiration, 5% inspiration. Okay. So you opened one, was the first salon with a partner or the first salon was by yeah, salon? No, first salon was with a partner. Yeah. And the, and the second, third, fourth and fifth were as well. Um, and my first salon was in a shopping mall. And yeah. I, I looked at shopping malls and I thought, well, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, retail should be a part of the salon. I just believe that. Because yeah. it's almost like, you know, when you go to a doctor and the doctor says, yes, you've got this wrong with you. I am going to prescribe this medicine. Well, you know, we've all talked about that and it's not a, not something that's new, but we all talk about hairdressers advising the clients and the care mm. packages and go from there. So my thought was, right, shopping mall, a lot of traffic, really easy to build up clientele um, for the staff and retail. So the first salon I opened uh, was in a shopping mall in just outside of Los Angeles. And it was a big shopping mall, Topanga Plaza. And I carried roughly 17 full lines of products. Right. Uh, 17 full lines. I mean, it was like a beauty supply with a 22-chair salon in the back mm -hmm. that was amazing and worked really well. And, you know, I did that with all of the five salons that we opened, uh, shopping malls, big retail areas. And we did anywhere from 25 to 30 percent in retail to service. So I understood what retail could do. You know, it was, it's never sick, never complains. and It always comes to work. And yeah. it literally will pay for, you know, the majority of your overheads because you're looking at a, a clear 50 and if you're smart, a 50 to 60% profit right away from that area. So mm. that's what we did. And it worked well. And I built from that one salon and the shopping mall at that time, uh, which is actually an Australian company. 
um, you know, uh, basically said, hey, yeah, exactly, Westfield, mm. uh, we, we, you know, which was owned by a family back then, believe it or not, the Westfield mm. family. It's yeah, sold yeah. now, but it was owned by the family. Um, and they said, hey, we, we like what you're doing. We've got a couple of other shopping malls in San Diego we'd like you to go into. So from Los Angeles to San Diego and had a look at the shopping malls, liked them, uh, and everything worked out well. And uh, there you go. And I opened four more, um, which, again, you know, did, did very well. Uh, mm. It was because those salons did well that I was able to start Unite, the product company, financially. Yeah. They did work well. Yeah. So, so you sort of alluded to the fact that partnerships weren't, weren't, wasn't a great way to go. What, yeah. what is the key to successful expansion if you're a salon owner? What's the key to that? Team. You have to have a strong team. And, I, and I, what I did was obviously a um, bit like Vidal Sassoon's with my salons, you had to go through a training program before you could get on the floor as a stylist, which I still believe is the right thing to do. I don't believe coming straight out of you know college or beauty school or whatever, you're immediately set to go on the floor. I, I personally don't believe that. I mean, when you look at how many hours it takes to do something really well, it's usually 10,000 hours. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's the norm, as it were. So 1,800, 1,600, you know, w- with a college course, a beauty school doesn't really do it to me. So I like the apprenticeships. And then when somebody's going through a training program, an apprenticeship, a, a fast track, you can usually see certain people within that group that you know will be key people for you in the future. That would be an art director. That person would be a great manager. Like the, the best manager I ever had that turned into my general manager and now is my chief operating officer at Unite. She started with me when she was 18 as an esthetician wow. in one of our, you know, yeah, one of our salons. We had facial mm. rooms. Started as an esthetician. And I saw, you know what, you've got great management mm. sort of, you know, potential to be a great manager. So she did. She became a manager, then a general manager of all the salons. And she still works for me today. She started with me when she was 18 and she's 42 now. But, you know, yeah. that, and that that's sort of story, kind of I love that, that transition that you see people have yes. those opportunities. Like what she's turned yes. into, she could never have imagined. But that's one of the great Absolutely. things about hairdressing. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I, I agree with you, Andy. That is the great thing about our industry. Not only can you grow within the industry and you can become a session worker, you can become a salon owner, a creative director. There's so many things you can do. Movies, commercials, you know, going into that. You can travel the world. Look at you mm. from Australia to, to London to working around and myself, you know, from just outside of London to, uh, to America, mm. um, which is fantastic. But I think team is so important. And with Unite, um, if I didn't have my core team that I have, there's four of us, the core team are the most important. And right. uh, that's what helps a brand grow. You know, and you have to be able to emulate you know, what your brand is from one location to multi-locations. And the only way you do that is by building a culture. And if you get the right key people that understand you and, you know, your ethos or your brand or who you are, that becomes the culture. And that's when culture expands a brand, in my opinion. So that, that, that's really what it's all about. How would I go about that? Um, just like I said, you know, hiring the right people, you know, getting the right people on the bus, as it were. Your bus is going north. Don't get people on your bus that are going southwest and east. Get people on your bus that understand where you want to go. 
Yeah, great that's analogy. important. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so let's 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 talk about unite. You did touch on, and I think it was that bit where the internet wobbled and it dropped out a little bit. You touched uh, on where the name unite came from. Um, yeah, do you just just want to tell us that again to make sure. Um, and, and was it was it a moment? Was it was it one of those moments where you sat up in bed and went? Oh, I've got this great, got this great name. Or was there was there a moment in time where you just thought, "I've got the perfect name for for the product"? Well, it's it's funny. Really, one of my best friends, who was best man at my wedding, um, uh, Michael Hancock, um, he was an art director at Suchy and Such in London, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I've known Mike since I was probably eight years old. And you know, we talked about you know what my brand was going to look like. And he was really brilliant at helping me, obviously art director of Suchy and Suchy. I mean, he's going to be good at what he does when it comes to, you know, yeah. And uh, I said, you know, I just really want hairdressers to come together. I want hairdressers to to unite together and and really understand that this is a great industry and we can push it forward. And he said, well, you just said what the name was. And I said, what do you mean? He said, unite. You said it. It's just unite. And I said, yeah, that's right. It's, you know, it's what I want is hairdressers to unite together to make the industry a better place. Mm. Um, and hence the word unite came from it. So, right. um, it, yeah, it, it really it really works. And I, I, I still feel the same way today. I wish hairdressers would unite together a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know there's some great organizations, but you know, we should be charging more. Hairdressers should be charging way more than they charge right now. Hairdressers should be having lifestyles a lot more conducive to, you know, to to being with their family a bit more and relaxing a bit more as opposed to the way they work. And I think it's got a lot to do uh, with the prices that we're charging. But that's just me, and I could go off on a tangent on that, but I won't. I'll, yeah, I'll okay. stick to this. <laughs> okay, well, 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 well let's yeah. let's get back to to unite and where that came from yeah. because I love yeah. I love these sort of stories of you know I mean it's not rags to riches by any stretch of the imagination but you know um, how you start off with an idea and and you build it up to a to a company that has a global presence in over thirty different countries and you know and and it keeps on growing and that's a fantastic story so um, I, I want to find out more about that. Was it something that you used to dream about when you were when you started hairdressing? Did you mm-hmm. look at the likes of well Vidal Sassoon? Did you look at the likes of him and see the bottle with the name on it and think one day that's what I want to do? Or, or, no. or did it, it did it wasn't there? Okay, no. no, no, I wanted to I wanted to be uh, you know a salon owner and have multiple yeah. salons and have an amazing you know, group of salons and a brand that, that was brilliant with just doing hair for clients. But mm. what changed that was the first salon I opened and really seeing how retail could affect um, the industry, our industry in the right way, you know, how it could. And then teaching for so many different product companies, which I did, um, one that you obviously do work for, Paul Mitchell, huge respect for that brand. Yeah. Uh, and what they've done. And, you know, John Paul DeJuria, just a, a genius, in my opinion. Um, so loved what they've done. Uh, and then some other brands I worked for as well. Uh, one of them from Australia, which, you know, um, went in the wrong direction, in my opinion, but was brilliant. Uh, I was the art director for Fudge when it first came out years ago. Oh, Did wow. all their educational videos in Australia, yeah. worked with them, you know, doing all of that and putting it together. And, 
And that was when I said to myself, okay, you know what? I, I think I can, can do something here. So I took two years out of the educational arena to focus on the salons and build up as much um, you know, money as I could. And then, you know, basically sold off the salons, um, was left with one salon. And Nikki, who I just talked about, that had been with me from the age of 18 and now she's 42. And Jared Trombetta, uh, who is my, the president of our company and an absolute, I think, genius as well with how he's worked with people, was uh, a roommate of mine a long time ago. And I knew him when he was at college at the age of, I think he was like 19 or 20. And he is... 42 now mm. and is working, you know, with me as the president of the company. And the three of us sat around in the back of uh, the salon in my office, the last salon I had. And we said, all right, so what are we going to do now? So Jared said, well, I'll go out and sell and I'll bring you in Dale and you can come and do the product knowledge and the education. And Nikki, you're going to have to pack the boxes and ship them. <laughs> and it really was, that's what it was. And it was out of my garage in my house. So we had a bunch of unmarked boxes with not too much, you know, going on and just hairdressers I knew. We just went out there and tried to get into salons with it. This was obviously after, you know, finding the two chemists to work with and creating. I think we ended up with like 12 products when we went out to market, just 12 different products. But that's um, quite a lot to, to launch with. It to, is. Have, no, it to is. open a brand with 12 products is a good, giving it a serious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought if we were going to do it, we're going to have to do this. I can't just start with one or two and, yeah. you know, they're going to get lost in the mix. We, we have yeah. to do this right. So we did that for probably just over a year, year and a half. And mm. I think we got into about 150, 160 salons, mm. which was, you know, was pretty good. Our biggest break that we had, Anthony, and I, and I, I mean, I'll always, there's certain people I recognize, you know, throughout my career that I will always say thank you to, because, it, you know, if it wasn't for you, like Andrew Joes is one of them. Yeah. And obviously Videl, you know, for, for what that happened. But the other one is, um, you know, somebody um, who you probably know, which is John Maley. Um, from Maley's. I, I know I know the name, but I don't know the person. Yeah. Well, John Maley was the largest distributor individually owned in America. He was doing 300 million a year yeah. and he was bought out by L'Oreal. But anyway, yeah. uh, so John had been a friend because I'd done education for him and I phoned him up and I got his secretary and I said, uh, I would love to come and see John and get some advice. And she said, oh, he's very busy. He's traveling a lot. Uh, let's see and I'll see if he'll get back to you. That was on a Friday afternoon at about three o'clock. The phone rang 30 minutes later and it was his secretary again. And she said, oh, uh, John would like to see you next Monday up in Valencia. And we were in San Diego. And I'm like, oh, great, amazing, fantastic. So Jared and I uh, jumped in the car on Sunday, stayed in a hotel overnight in Valencia and went in to see him on Monday. And it was like walking into a, you know, 10 football pitches warehouse with amazing offices. I mean, this was an operation. It was very intimidating. I mean, this is like incredible. So John's mm. sitting there and we're talking to him in his office. And I'm asking him for advice. And this is the key thing for me, which hit. And, and I, this is something that we should all think about. He said to me, uh, why, why are you asking me for advice? Why aren't you trying to sell me your product line? And I said, John, you're, you've got nearly 200 sales consultants you are absolutely massive. What would you do with a small brand like mine? And he said, well, 
my managers tell me that you're in salons that we can't get into. Christoph, Ken Pavis, all of the high-end salons. He said, we, we can't get into those and you're in them. So why aren't you trying? So long story short, he took the brand on. And literally within six months, it just rocketed. It was unbelievable what he did with our brand. And then because he took the brand on, um, we ended up getting other distributors calling us and saying, well, you know, John says your line's amazing. So we ended up with, I think, 16 distributors within literally a year and a half, Fantastic. which was amazing. Yeah, 16. And then, as we all know, the, um, you know, L'Oreal and BSG came in and started buying them all up. And we didn't want to play that game. We didn't want to go with the that larger, you know, brands like that. We felt as though we still had enough independence on our own. So we basically started building our own sales force. And we built our own sales force. And we went direct. Um, and that was another key thing for us, going direct. So I got to understand, you know, what it was like to work with a distributor and then I got to understand what it was like to be a distributor as well. So we still are a hybrid. We have distribution that we work with, and we have sales consultants or salespeople that we work with too. So I sort of understand both sides of the coin, uh, okay. which works really well, I think, for a brand like ours. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I'm sort of looking at my questions, and you ask, you answer them before I ask them. So, ah, so, so, great so either my either my questions are good, or, or yes, you can see yes. them. Uh, now that's 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 fantastic. So, um, uh, John Maley, you just mentioned, uh, obviously yeah. a, a bit of a business mentor. Yeah. Uh, for you, Very anyone much so. anyone else, you know, because the transition from a behind the chair hairdresser to yeah. running a, a multi-million dollar, you know, product company is a big, yeah. you know, it's a big deal. It's a big transition to do it successfully. Yeah. Many, many try, uh, most mm -hmm. fail. Uh, yeah. You haven't. So, so who else have you had that have helped you on that, that business journey as a mentor? Yeah, my father was one of the biggest ones. Uh, he yeah. passed away a few years ago at the age of 95. Wow. He retired at the age of 83. Yeah which was pretty crazy, but yeah, yeah him, he built up a, an amazing business from, from nothing. Um, and I, I always, you know, look at somebody like that and, uh, what he came from was, I saw the house he grew up in. And I mean, and it was, I mean, we're talking, you know, no, no bathroom, you know, the, the toilet was at the, the bottom of the garden and that's all they had, you know, bathtub yeah, in yeah. front of the fireplace. I mean, it sounds funny, but yeah, yeah. You know, a bit like the old, the old Hovis commercial, you know, um, yeah. but yeah, it, he, he came from real poverty and, and, you know, built himself up into what he did, uh, which was pretty incredible. And I got a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, stuff from him, which was, was great. He, you know, he never went to, to school, but he, he did a bit of college afterwards and he became an aeronautical engineer and a qualified attorney. Wow. So he was, he's pretty, it's pretty smart guy. Yeah. Um, and I used to run a lot of things by him and I, and I wish that he was obviously still here today because I'd love him to see what I've done, but it was yeah. probably, you know, 50% of just having him there, which was amazing. And then, you know, Videl, seeing what Videl did, not that I could really speak to him a lot, but I, you know, I did like you and we had conversations with him. And then another person I always look up to, not that I've ever really met that person, they've passed away now, but David Bowie, um, the way he changed 
and the way he did things that were different, I thought was amazing. And I always remember an interview he had and he said, you know, um, don't worry about a manager, just hire a great attorney and do it yourself. Um, and I've always thought about that afterwards with my partners that I had. And I thought, hey, you know what? Should have done that. Should have literally had somebody who had the strength and the guidance like an attorney to say this and me just push forward my beliefs and my thoughts. And yeah. that's what I would suggest anybody would, should do now. If you want to start your own salon, want to start your own brand, do it on your own and just get the right people around you. Simple yeah. as that. You know, do what you do best, outsource the rest always. Okay. Yeah. Have you have you had any uh, formal business education other than that? Um, when I was at Fidel Sassoon's in Los Angeles, uh, twice a week on a Tuesday and a Thursday evening, I actually did do a business course at UCLA. Yeah. Um, so I went there, you know, from I think it was something like sort of seven till nine, uh, two nights a week for two years, and uh, it was it was that was pretty good for me. You just being able to create a business plan because I didn't know what a business plan was or a plan, you know, that you put together to, to open a business or a brand. And that helps me do that a lot. And, and that was important. And just little things that the professor would say that I would be interested in. And for me, I left school at 16 and didn't really take too many exams. I don't know if I took any actually, but I left at 16. Um, but then going to the London college of fashion for two years was phenomenal as well. That taught me a lot about design um, and, and thinking in that creative way, which was good. And then the UCLA uh, business class for two years was phenomenal as well. That mm. worked for me. But apart from that, not really. Just I love to be around, um, you know, like an accountant or an attorney or somebody in finance. Ask them, well, what would you do in this situation? How would you approach this? Not necessarily thinking that I'm going to do exactly the same, but I want to know what their thoughts are. And it's mm. always good to get a lot of advice, but it doesn't mean to say you're going to take it, but you can learn from it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you, do you think, I mean, having grown up in the UK, having started hairdressing in the UK, mm-hmm. and now uh, living in America and San Diego all these years, yeah. do, you, do you think that it would have been possible for you to do what you've done in the UK? No, absolutely not. No so, way. See, I'm always intrigued by that because when you think about think about all the big hair companies, they're either American, German, or French. And well, I don't know. There's, there's a, a few Australians. A few Australians. Yeah, there's a yeah, few Australian yeah. players in the market now. But yeah. but name a big or successful. I mean, okay, you used to have TG, um, which arguably you'd say was you know British to yeah, start but with. Bruno was and, in America when he sort of yeah, put exactly. it together. Yeah, you know, exactly. And then yeah, I, Trevor I, I, Sorby, maybe, but Trevor Sorby then had Redkin behind him, you know. Yeah, so initially, uh, yeah. when he started his brand initially, yeah. yeah so, um, no, I, you know, it. a lot of people hate me for this, but, you know, English people understand that they can be a little negative sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I go back to England, I, I try not to talk to old friends of mine about what I do, mm. you know, where I live, what I drive, what I it's just, you just don't go there. Because it's sort of looked at somebody doing well in England sometimes is looked upon a little negatively, which I've never really understood. You know, in America, it's like rah, rah, rah. Yes, you're doing well. We love that. That's fantastic. Whereas in England, it would be like, oh, look at that flash bastard. Look what he's doing. Oh, you know, you get a lot of that. You know, oh, look at you. You know, you get a lot of that over there. And I never like that. I'm like, if somebody's doing well, 
I want to go over and pat them on the back and say, well done, man, because mm. they don't understand. It's like it's hard work. You're not handed something. It's not given to you. You have to work your ass off for it. Um, and, you know, that's the one thing about England. Even if you do work your ass off it, you get put down a little bit. And that's, I don't know. But don't get me wrong. I love, I love England, love English people, and I love going back over there, but I couldn't live there anymore. Right. I don't know how you yeah. do it, Anthony. I don't know how you do it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it here. But, yeah, I totally get it. But it weather, is a trick when, when you think of, you know, hairdressing has, uh, you know, there's so much around the hairdressing industry that comes out of the UK. And yet yes. when you look at products, like, yes. you know, you've got, obviously you've got L'Oreal, you've got, uh, you know, Weller, and you've got uh, uh, Schwarzkopf. Um, yeah. and Goldwell originally yeah. came out of Germany in varying degrees. And then you, the sure. rest of them are pretty much American. And as you say, there's now some serious Australian players in the market. But yeah. um, it always intrigues me why that couldn't or doesn't seem to have been able to be started in the UK. It'd be a great success story. But um, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. Um, yeah. I just like the fact when, you know, when somebody wants to do something, it's like, go on, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. Make that happen. You know, that's yeah. what I like. I love that positive energy, and that's mm. what you get in America. No, exactly. I mean, I feel it when I'm there. So, okay, you touched on before uh, distribution, and mm -hmm. uh, what I want to ask you about is is the the changes that are happening in distribution because, you know, it affects every player in the industry. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's basically the you know the the great disruptor of our time. Uh, the internet disrupts every single industry in varying ways, and now mm -hmm. you know, as you alluded to, you know, lots of the smaller distributors in the US got all bought up, so that they're now pretty much owned by you know one of two big distribution companies there, and so that mm -hmm. model is always changing. But I suppose that where, where I'm going with this is the you know the the amazons of the world and where's the future in distribution right yeah, you know that, well, yeah, well you've, yeah. you've you've got so many people now buying stuff online and so sure. and and a lot of this is just american centric so i i can i can imagine that like your australian distributor who who you know bill is a is a, is a friend of mine as well he is he is not going to want me to be saying this giving people the impression that in australia that you can buy uh the product uh through amazon because you can't it's only something you can do in the united states at this point in time i'm correct in saying that aren't i yeah, you are. It's changing rapidly. And when you yeah. look at what's happened in England right now with Amazon doing the salon, um, you know, it's not going to be too long. And Amazon and that salon's like a L'Oreal salon, I think. Mm. Um, and I think that it's, it's going to change rapidly. And they're actually using England as a test market, which is quite interesting because they've obviously got domination over here in the U.S., uh, and they're looking at another country where they can do that through. And it's interesting that they've gone into our industry to do that. But mm. I would watch out in England because I think when it does change, it will change so quickly. People will be like, what the hell just happened? Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So yeah. um, your product in the, in the U.S. can mm -hmm. be bought through Amazon, can't it? Absolutely. And there's a, a good reason why we do that. Yeah. Everything that we do at Unite, I have to say to myself, does this make the hairdresser's life easier? Right. Mm. And that's a serious statement I've just made. And it's a statement that I believe in. 
Mm. Something comes across my desk and I look at it. I think if this is not going to make the hairdresser's life easier, why are we doing it? Mm. Why did we do Amazon? Well, Amazon, if you're not selling directly to them, will have a, a, a plethora, a huge amount of different people trying to sell your brand at discount prices on their websites or on Amazon. And Amazon don't really care about that. They'll just let it happen because they're making money from it. So unless you go directly with Amazon, you can't control the pricing that your product is sold at. And that's why, like many other companies have done, Mm. We have gone onto Amazon and sold directly to Amazon because we can control the recommended retail price in that situation. And yeah. I believe that that makes the hairdresser's life easier than having a hundred companies on there trying to discount and prostitute our products as much as they could. So that's why we did it. And it has worked out extremely well. And I think the smart hairdresser out there totally understands that and knows why we did that. But again, it's why all the other brands did it as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, as you said, I do a lot of work with Paul Mitchell, and uh, and they had yeah. exactly the same issue. I mean, they're the biggest player in the American market, and you know they had two and a half Correct. thousand different, uh, or Amazon had two and a half thousand different people yeah. supplying them with Paul Mitchell product. So John yeah. Paul DeJuria went to Amazon and said, "Listen." We will supply you direct, but on the condition that mm -hmm. you do not take any Paul Mitchell product from anybody else. Uh, that was the first mm -hmm. condition. And the second condition was that you had to sell it at recommended retail price. So that's exactly what we did. We did yeah. the same thing. Yeah. So he, he, he cleaned up all that uh, false product, all the, all the forged product, yeah. all the old stock, Correct. the out of date stock, the, you know, Absolutely. The, all, all stuff that was no longer, you know, meant to be in the market anyway. He cleaned all that up and it was being yeah. sold at recommended retail price. So, um, and, and that works in the U S it doesn't happen in Europe and it doesn't happen in the UK at the moment or Australia, but I, I think it would be someone fairly naive that didn't imagine that at some point in time in the not too distant future that, you know, more and more product will go that way because that is the way that we want it as consumers, not as hairdressers necessarily, but as consumers, we want that ease and convenience to buy online. And yeah. you know, through Amazon or other affiliate marketing companies or, you know, Salon Interactive in the US or whatever, it, it is sure. the future and you can't sort of fight it. It's like, you know, standing in the, in the, in the water telling the tide not to come in. The tide's coming in, baby, and that's as simple as that. So you, you have to look for ways to make it a positive, don't you? Well, I think that, you know, let's take a hypothetical situation here. I'm in a salon, running a salon, owning a salon, and I need some color right? You know, the easiest way for me to get that color is to go online, place the order and get it the next day, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to phoning your rep, your rep takes the order, then your rep sends it into the distributor, the distributor gets the order, they send it to the warehouse, they pack it up and you might get it two or three days later, right? Mm -hmm. that, you know, just, just thinking of that. And again, when you think of it, you know, um, you've got to have a distributor that understands your brand as well. You don't just want somebody shipping, you know, the product. So we finally have a distributor in the UK, Lacey's, Malcolm Lacey, who gets our brand, who gets the industry and gets where things are going in the future as well. I think he's like one of the only distributors that, that I've ever sort of sat down and have a conversation with 
that really understands what hairdressers need and want in a big way. Um, mm. So, so you know, we support them 100% because they get it and they really want to do the right thing for the hairdresser. And he's working on some amazing things right now with his brand where there's like a pro site and, and working with, with pro hairdressers uh, in this arena. And I think he's going to do amazingly well with it too. Um, England's got to watch out because things are changing very, very quickly over there. Uh, and the Amazon thing with Amazon, you know, going in with these salons, that, that's probably just the first step, the first step of many moves that they will make over there. Yeah. Um, well, and again, uh, you've I, got to think of ease of things as well. What, what's easy? I don't know mm. about you, Anthony, but there's something I need. I go to my computer, I go on Amazon and, you know, I, I, I order it and it's here the next day. It might yeah, even totally. be here later on that day. And, you know, who would have thought we could have made the richest man in the world richer with COVID? Yeah, exactly. Did. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, I haven't told anyone this yet, but I'm actually interviewing uh, the lady who is has got the Amazon <clears throat> salon uh, for the podcast yeah. Uh, yeah. in the next week yeah. or two. So, you know, uh, right. it'd be great to have the opportunity to talk to her about uh, about what that looks like from the inside looking out. What are your thoughts about the, you know, as a hairdresser, as a former salon owner, and as someone in California, yeah. you're right in the, in the thick of all this. What, what are your thoughts about the sort of changing salon business model? And I suppose from a hairdresser's point of view, but also the double whammy with that question is what impact does that changing business model have? So the salon suites and, the, you know, the more independent contractors, et cetera, what impact do, does that have on professional retail sales? Well, we started working with studio salons, uh, Solar Studios, Republic, you know, uh, all of those from day one. And a lot of brands were like, oh, we're not going to go in the studios. We're not going to do that. And I'm like, why? They're hairdressers. And, you know, we're here to support hairdressers, whether they've got a salon with 30 people in, if they've got a salon with 10 people in, or if there's one hairdresser in a studio, we're here to support hairdressers. And I think what it was, a lot of salon owners with larger salons were bullying distributors and product companies by saying, well, we don't want you selling to those studios. And what's really interesting, and this is no word of a lie, I remember quite a few years ago, two hairdressers that owned big salons phoning me up and saying, I don't want you selling to solar studios down the road. And I'm like, well, sorry, that's not going to happen. We're going to do that. Well, I'm not going to carry your brand anymore. And I said, well, that's fine. I have my beliefs. You have yours. No word of a lie. Two years later, they were phoning me up because they were in studios and they lost their salon mm. and they wanted to carry the brand in the studio. And I said, well, it's a good job that we sell to studios now, isn't it? So, <laughs> you know, little things like that. Yeah. I think this is where hairdressers have got to be a little bit more open, you know, um, with the way they, they do things. I think, you know, let's go back to, to distributors. I think distributors, sales consultants, have to be consultants. They cannot be order takers. If you are an order taker, please go away. It doesn't work for our industry. It doesn't support our industry. It doesn't unite our industry in any way, shape, or form. You have to be a consultant and guide and help that salon owner with things that they need, resources that they need, whether that be business, education, whatever it is. Then I think as a, a hairdresser, um, you know, you have to build a brand. Unless you are building a brand, you will not survive. And that brand has to stand out and be different. 
That's why I always like a brand that specializes in something, whether it be we specialize in like cutting, we specialize in color, you know, we specialize in a certain area of what they do. I think specialized brands in our industry will grow and will be very important. I think they'll work really well. But you have to build that brand. It's the brand's name that will survive. You know, when we look at all of the brands that we love today, the Gucci's of the world, the Aston Martins of the world, you know, all of those brands, they've been around a long time. But that brand has changed. Do you remember Gucci when Gucci was nobody? Gucci was amazing. And then it went through a phase where it did nothing. And then Tom Ford came in and sort of reinvented it with its look. Mm. Um, but, But that brand has been around a long time and they've changed. They're changing even now when you look at that brand and how it changes. Aston Martin's changing as well as it is. You know, Bentley changes. All of these brands change. And I think hairdressers have to understand that, that we have to change. And I think as much as I will always, always have a place in my heart for Videl Sassoon's, they didn't change at the right time. And that's why they are where they are today. You know, and, and, and that's something that all of us should look at and say, oh, hold on a minute. Maybe we need to change a little bit. And hairdressers sometimes don't like to change, but we have to force ourselves to change. And once we have changed, we realize it was probably the best thing to do. Have you ever been through that, Anthony? Oh, totally. Have you had to get to a point we have to change? Oh, totally. Look, it, it, it always strikes me as, you know, funny in that hairdressing is a change industry. That's what we do. We change people. We change their Absolutely. appearance. Uh, we change their self-esteem. And yet as an industry, we're often, you know, pretty slow off the mark in terms of embracing change. People tend to get very scared of it and they tend to be very resistant to change. And, you know, it's that analogy I used before of the tides coming in, baby, and, you you know, you can't stop it no matter how much you scream at it. You know, it's coming in. And, you know, the smart ones in any industry look at it and they look for the opportunities um, because, you know, there's always going to be people that, that don't change and don't evolve and therefore don't survive. So, you know, and there's other people that look at what's happening and they look at, okay, well, how can I make this work for me? How can I make it work for the industry? How can I make it work for uh, the consumers? Because, um, you know, we're in, in, a, in a world that is all about change. And, yeah, you don't want to get me on that soapbox. I've, I've gone into No, no, no. You know, it's like there's two brands stand out that people in our industry should think about sometimes. One of them is Blockbuster Video. Yeah. Right. You don't want to end up like blockbuster video. Yeah, yeah, and the other yeah. one was, was Kodak cameras and Kodak yeah. film. Yeah. You know, those two didn't change when yeah. they knew they should have changed and they didn't. And look at them now. Yeah. I use them yeah. as examples all the time. I just used them on a webinar I was doing the other day. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. uh, K- Kodak. And another one was MySpace. Um, and, yeah. uh, and another one is Blackberry. I mean, it's not that long ago. Yeah. Blackberry was huge. And now who's yeah. got black dominated? Yeah, anyway. no, you're right. You're right. But again, those, those two blockbuster and Kodak really stand out for me that were just, just doing this. And all of a yeah. sudden, bam, bam. You know, like, yeah. where are they now? Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Well, well, when we talk about your personal skills for a minute, we've got about sort of five, 10 minutes tops to go. Um, yeah. what, what are the keys to your success? If you were having to be, you know, objective uh, about you as a person, what are, the, what are the keys to your success? So I think that the, the thing that stands out for me with, with what, what helps me do what I do was brought to my attention by, by Jared Trombetta, 
who is the president of our company. And I was doing a, a motivational sort of speech for uh, blow blow dry bars, probably about 200, 250 of them. And he said, if there's one thing that you're great at is, is getting people motivated and things that they don't think they can do, you make them believe that they can do that. He said, you've done it with me from day one. You've done it with Nikki. You've done it with the rest of the team that, you know, you, you can sit them down and give them the confidence to move forward and, and build something. And I think that we as hairdressers, we work with so many different personalities and people. And if we understand different personalities, which we should, and different uh, walks of life, we should be able to see what kind of a person and personality that, that they've got and utilize that. So the way I look at it is everybody's got a couple of really good strengths. They might have a ton of weaknesses, but they've got a couple of good strengths. Mm. And I always, always focus on those couple of strengths that they've got and build on those strengths. And if you build on those strengths, the weaknesses will fall away. And I've always believed that. And that's what I think I've done um, with the, the brands that I've owned and especially with Unite now. And I'd like to try and do it with hairdressers now because all of the hairdressers out there, and you do this in your business classes and what you teach as well, you look at what people have in their strengths and you focus on those and you amplify those and you get people to just build on that. And then the weaknesses usually fall away. Um, so again, it's like do what you do best, outsource the rest always. Yeah. Okay. What, what, what drives you? Um, it's really, it's an interesting one that, because I've always thought about that. What drives me, um, as much as we all like money, you know, and if somebody mm. says, well, money's not a driver, then you're full of shit because, <laughs> you know, money usually is a bit of a driver with most yeah. people, you know, and if somebody says, no, money's not a driver, but you say to them, right, well, I'll, I'll pay you an extra hundred thousand a year. You know, if you can do this, they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm motivated to do that. But I think what it is with me is having a brand that is growing. And this may sound a bit corny, but it's helping people. It's not only helping hairdressers, it's helping their clients as well. So, you know, when we produce a product, that product has to be beneficial, not only to the hairdresser, but beneficial to the client as well. And that's why our products individually take a minimum of six months to perfect, sometimes a year, because I'm a real stickler when it comes to having the right, perfect product before we release it out in the marketplace. And I really want to end up saying one day that we built a brand that really supported and helped hairdressers and clients loved it. And now obviously with social media, um, we can see that the product is loved and it's loved by a lot of people. Um, yeah. And the brand has grown. And, I, and I, I also like the fact that I've done it without bringing in any venture capital. Um, mm. You know, I still control this company. I still run this company. Um, and I don't answer to anybody, which is good and bad. Um, I have my group of directors that we all talk and, and chat with. Um, and I love that. And I love doing this. This is something that I thoroughly enjoy. And I think just like you, Anthony, you love what you do. And I think if somebody finds what they love to do um you don't think about the money you think about the enjoyment that you're having and the money will come 
Um, and it and it and it will. I mean, it's hard for younger people to understand that. But you know, I don't look at you know where I've come from from my paycheck at Videl Sassoon's, which was I don't know how anybody could ever survive on that. That was a bit, you know, <laughs> that was rough. That was really rough, you know. I mean, how could anybody live on that? Um, to where I am today, but I look back at the journey, and the journey was the fun part. And if I could, like, yeah. you know talk to any young hairdresser, I would say, don't look at just getting from this point to that point, mm. try and have the most amazing journey that you could have. And I love the journey that I've had. I will always be able to look back at my journey and say, you know, when I met you, Anthony, you know, when you came in as a Vardra, right. Mm. Mm. At Sassoon's, I remember when I met Stephen Moody for the first day, I showed him around the salon. You know, when he first walked in, I remember all of these things, you know, Simon yeah, Bond, yeah. Oscar, you know, yeah. I, all of these great people, Rick Haler, you know, and another mentor of mine with cutting was Brian, which is Nick Slingsby. Um, mm. I will always, always have admiration for Nick in the way that he helped me and taught me how to cut hair properly. Mm. The guy is and just a super nice guy. Just a really exactly. good guy. I'm hoping that maybe next year when things all calm down, I can have a game of golf with him, um, which would be nice. So, uh, And I, yeah. I also say that, like yourself, I'm sure you've got hobbies, but hobbies are important as well. Having things that you can do outside of work, you know, can help you focus on work as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that, what you were saying about the journey. I mean, you know, uh, we all look back and laugh on what we earned, you know, as young 20-year-olds, you know, it was literally not survivable. But you weren't doing it for the money. And as you just alluded to, you, you and I still have all these friends from that period of time where we shared a fantastic journey together, a fantastic experience, and it was a lot of fun. And you wouldn't change it for anything. I mean, you know, no, another, no. another 10 pound a week would help. You know? and, yeah, yeah, no, totally. But again, it's nothing it. to do with the money. It's, yeah. it's to do with that. And you, you, know, you can't buy that experience, Anthony. That yeah. experience is something that you just, you have. And I look back and I have so many great moments, just like yourself. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Um, two questions i got for you. Uh, they're sort of linked. Um, or one might be the answer to the other, I suppose, in some way. Uh, the first one is, is how do you overcome adversity? Meaning that, you know, you haven't talked about any times where, you know, you were right on the edge business-wise, financially, whatever. But I'm sure in your story, just like everyone's, that there are times where, you know, things are tough, things are hard, and um, you've really got your back to the wall. You know, whether it's people or situations that have let you down, how do you sort of bounce back from that? Because you can't have got to the point you've got in business and in life without having to deal with some fairly significant challenges. So what is the secret to dealing with adversity and when things go wrong? It's a belief that you have to have that you believe that you will always come through. And Anthony, I've nearly in the beginning, in the first five years, we probably nearly went bankrupt three times. And I just had the belief that we can make this work. We can make this work. And even probably seven years ago, there was a time where it was really tough. Um, and I was like, nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And that's where you've got to have, you know, the, the belief that what you're doing is the right thing. And I just had the belief that what I was doing was the right thing and it was going to work. Absolutely. But yet, were there tough times? Oh, my God, really tough times. I think I mortgaged my house four times. 
Right. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- there's really tough time. times where the first three years I didn't make any money. I didn't pull any money from the company. Mm. I had to live off my savings and they mm. were very meagle savings. I mean, they were very, very, very tight, tight times. Yeah. 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 Yeah, oh, that's that, that's a story yeah. for another podcast. And then, so the last yeah. thing I wanted to ask you is, and it may be linked to that, is what do you wish you were better at? Golf. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think I could still listen a little bit more. You know, that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. Yeah. Um, I think I could still listen a little bit more. I think that that is something that I think is important. And I think good CEOs tend to listen a lot more. Um, and yeah. probably that's something. And, and reacting, you know, uh, taking time before I react to something has always been a little bit because I'm always like, go, go, go. No, make this happen. Do that. Do that. Yeah. Um, sit, you know, the older I get, I'll be 60 this year. And the older I get, I like to sit back now and just sort of contemplate and think about things and or sleep on it, you know, when I never used to. I never used to sleep on it. I'd do it, you know. Um, and that's the difference. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah good yeah. bit of advice. Um, yeah. Okay. So, look, we need to start wrapping up. Whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Where would you send them to? I do have, uh, I do have an Instagram that I don't use that often because social media is good and bad, you know? Um, so it's a little, little bit, bit hard here and there. But I am at uh, uh, Dale underscore Unite um which is you know if somebody wants to they can um or just you know the unite uh the unite uh, instagram okay so i'll put those links on our website growmysalonbusiness.com in the show notes for today's podcast if you're listening to this podcast with dale and have enjoyed it then do me a favor take a screenshot on your phone share it to your instagram stories and don't forget to subscribe and follow us so To wrap up, Dale, thank you so much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Have you got any final words for our audience? Uh, Just, you know, if you've got a belief in a brand or something that you want to create, don't ever sway from it. Keep going in that direction. Have the belief, the dream that you're going to get there and just go for it. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it because you can. Perfect. Great words to wrap up on. Dale from Unite, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Anthony. Much appreciated. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.